Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Isn't that great? So we're uh, thrilled to be part of Jay's ministry and Nick Vujicic. Um By the way, we have a meeting tomorrow with Jay, who's just sat down with Nick Vojevich, Life Without Limbs. And we are going to put on the calendar for 2022 a weekend when Nick is going to be here at Union Chapel with us. So we'll let you know uh, way in advance when he'll be here so that we can sort out seating and all that, because I'm sure the place will be completely packed all day. And uh, what a great opportunity to be in association with such great people. So a lot of fun, and God is at work. We're thrilled about that. You have uh, near you in your seat one of these Faith Promise cards, so I'll be referring to that at the end of the service today. If, you can, if you're within reach of one, grab one. If not, there's a QR code on here, uh, and we'll put that on the screen so you can grab it with your phone as well, and we'll be talking about that at the end. Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you today. I want to talk about the Great Commission, and this is uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and the last verses of Matthew's Gospel, 16 to 20. So if you'll turn there, and of course we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. Thanks for doing that as you're able. This is Jesus now. And when the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I mean, God causes us to hear these words clearly and respond in obedience. Thank you. You may be seated. There are two great things for believers, followers of Jesus, to consider from the Scripture. Two great things. There are not three, not four, not eight. There's two. It's really hard to lose track of these two because there are only two. It's interesting to me that many Christians get distracted and get off course and fail to refer to these two great things when they seem to lose their way. But it happens, and it's a puzzle because there are only two great things. And the first great thing is called the great commandment. And this is when Jesus very simply taught that you can contain all the laws and all the prophets and all the rules and all the, all the ways into this one command to love God and love your neighbor. It's the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So when you get in a, in a conundrum with relationships, this is the first great thing to refer to. You're not sure how I'm supposed to relate to God. Just love God. Trust him. Love him. I'm not sure how to relate to the people around me. Just ask the question, what is the best way to love my neighbor? What's the best way to love my spouse? What's the best way to love my kids? And ask for God's wisdom and timing about that. But the, the idea is to love people. Love God, love people. That's the great commandment. There is only two great things, and the second one is the Great Commission. This is the mandate that Jesus gave to his followers, that's you and me, to go into the world and evangelize. The, the evangelism is from a word, uh, evangel or euangelion in the, in the New Testament Greek. It just simply means sharing the good news. Share the good news. 
the hope that we found in Christ. So it's about evangelizing. It's about planting churches, establishing the body of Christ. It's about global relationships. It's about regional partnerships. It's about doing everything you can to disseminate the message of Christ and the hope that he brings to the world. It's a commission. Some of you uh, have been part of organizations that have commissioned an artist to to build a sculpture or to paint a portrait or something like that. They have a commission to do it. Or maybe you've commissioned someone to build your house. You give them a mandate. You, you have a contract. You, you secure a deal and you commission them to, for the work. Jesus has commissioned us to go into all the world and make disciples. It's the great commission. How many great things are there in the Bible? There's two. Thank you for the four of you listening to that at the beginning. My gosh. Jay said you got 17 seconds, you know, to get people's attention in prison. I don't know what the rule is here. <laughs> Apparently, it's more like three, three seconds or something like that. Two great things. So the vision of God's heart for all the people goes all the way back to Genesis 22:18. This is when God promised Abraham. Look at this verse. Genesis twenty two eighteen, 18, and in your seed, all your descendants, he says to Abraham, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So through your lineage, all the nations. So here's God's design and plan for the whole world, that every nation be blessed. And so we have the first signs that God is going to call us to do something great with regard to the whole world happens right there in Genesis. So the whole of the New Testament is about God fulfilling that great promise to bring the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We find it in Matthew's gospel. We read from it today. Mark, Luke, all of them have the great commission in this kind of verbiage. John doesn't say it exactly like the other three. That's his uniqueness. Uh, but John is quoted Jesus when he says, when Jesus said, the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So all of, the, all of the New Testament Gospels conclude or culminate with the Great Commission. In Matthew 20, 28, verse 16, from our text today, we are told that the 11 disciples have been called to Galilee. This is after the resurrection. And Jesus apparently said, now there's a certain mountain that he referred to. We don't know specifically. It's not in the text. But it's in Galilee. Go to that, go to that hill in Galilee, and I'll meet you there. This is after the resurrection. So post-resurrection Jesus now asking his disciples to go into Galilee. And this is, this is where, where he's assigned. Now, it's important to know that, that he doesn't ask them to go to Jerusalem or to the surrounding uh, suburb of Bethany. He, he's not talking about going to the seat of power or the, or the place of influence. He says, I want you to go out into Galilee and meet me there. Now, what, what does that mean? There's, there, there's, a, there's a meaning there if we'll, if we'll just think about it. And it's Jesus reminding them that it's, it's time to go. It's time to get out there. It's time to, time to get out there in the, in the burbs. It's time to get out in the sticks. time to get out in Galilee, where people are waiting to hear the hopeful message of the resurrection of Jesus. And so this is the context. This was the mission field. So we have to remember where the mission field is. There was a time in the United States when... North America was the center of all Christian activity. I mean, most of the major activity of Christian mission and outreach originated from the United States and going out from North America. 
that is no longer the case. Because of the shift in culture and shift in worldview, uh, you know, you can call it postmodern, post-Christian, post, post-whatever. The result of that is that we have an increasing secular culture here in the United States so that people who study these things will say out loud right now that North America is the fastest growing mission field in the world. More people outside of a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ in North America than any place else. It's fascinating, isn't it? So we should realize that while God is moving prolifically in other parts of the world, the United States is not the center of it anymore. So when we think about the Great Commission, we should think about unreached parts of the world that still exist, but we should also remember that right next door are people far from God who need to know the hope that Jesus Christ has provided for them. Now, let's just work through these verses from our text. Here's verse 17. We'll put it on the screen. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Now, this is on that mountain in Galilee. There is at least the disciples gathered there, but there may be more. There may be others The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, this is in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, that he said that that Jesus, after the resurrection, appeared to up to 500 people at the same time. So Jesus wasn't only revealing himself to the original disciples after the resurrection, he was revealing himself to lots of people. So Paul reports this, 1 Corinthians 15, 6, and says not only were there 500 people there, but some of those people are still alive, and you can go ask them. I mean, that's in the text. So, so we, see, we, see that, we see that there is this, this reference to Jesus after the resurrection. When people saw him, they worship him. Now, how many of you think that makes sense? You got a guy that you know was alive, and then he was crucified, dead, and buried and now he's back alive again, and there he is. How many of you, 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 you could understand how worship might be one of the responses you would make to that? Here's a res- guy raised from the dead. Maybe he's special. And so they worshiped him. Now, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So here's the resurrected Lord Jesus standing in front of these, these folks, and he says, all authority and power has been given to me. Now, this is why... The Great Commission isn't just a a, a good suggestion. His authority and power over the whole world is what gives authority to this statement. That's why he can give a Great Commission and not just, hey, you know, guys, in your spare time, you might want to get around to telling other people about what's been going on. That's not the tone or tenor. Jesus is presenting this great commission based on his authority and power, which he has all of in the whole world. And so standing before them that day is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just remind you that standing before us today is also the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He is alive and he is well. And we don't merely remember some past event that happened. We have before us today, in reality, the living presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead and present among us. Now, the world has seen countless leaders with with amazing influence. You could name the list of people who have impressed you. But we think of people like Nebuchadnezzar or Joan of Arc or Alexander the Great 
or Abraham Lincoln. Many leaders have led great movements, fought great battles, dreamed great dreams, thought great thoughts, but none of the great leaders of history have proved more powerful than the grave. Think about that. None have proved more powerful than death and the grave. But the gospel tells us a story of those women who made their way to the cemetery that first Sunday morning. You can imagine overcome by grief, their vision clouded by the brightness of the rising sun and the tears that filled their eyes as they went there to anoint the dead body of their teacher and their friend. A bad day. And in the context of that moment, we often forget the radical nature of the question that the angel asked them when they encountered the angel in the garden tomb that first morning. We often dismiss this part, but it is a radical and earth-shaking question. And the question that the angel asked those women was, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Profound question. And the angel infers, of course, don't you know that Jesus now holds the key to death, hell, and the grave? Don't, don't you realize that all the saints in history who have all already lived have now been redeemed? Don't, don't you know that sin has been conquered? Don't you know that the blood of the lamb has now washed you white as snow? Don't you know that death itself has been done to death? Death used to be ominous. It used to be threatening. It, must, it used to cause us to fear, but no longer because Jesus has done death to death. Don't you know that the stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone? Don't you know the whole world now has access to this living and eternal hope? Don't you know that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life and that whoever places their trust in him will never die? This is the truth that we believe. We are here because we've already received this life found in Jesus Christ and are already called to his great commission to the world. We are the people of the risen Lord. That's who we are. That's how we identify. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll put this on the screen. It's very powerful and important. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You understand, friends, there's no church, there's no salvation, there's no hope if Christ has not been raised from the dead. But if Christ is risen, if he is risen, if Jesus is indeed risen, if that is true, then we have a mandate to go to the ends of the earth with the message. It's called the Great Commission. I love the response from G.K. Chesterton, who was a wonderful Christian scholar, uh, British from another generation, he was asked an age-old question, which many have attempted to answer, which is, what is that which makes Christianity unique among all the world's religions? It's a great question, isn't it? What makes Christianity special? And you've heard various answers, brilliant answers from history. One, of course, is the resurrection kind of separates it. 
Jesus is alive. Our God lives. Amazing. Another is my favorite, which is, it comes from C.S. Lewis, which is the simple subject of grace. When I ask what's the difference between Christianity and all the other world religions, Lewis said, that's simple. It's grace. The concept of grace, the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God, that we are made ready and fit for eternal life in the presence of an almighty, perfect God, not based on our merits, but based on the merits of Jesus Christ, which we appropriate by faith with thanksgiving. That's grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That's a great answer to the question. But I love G.K. Chesterton's answer to the question, what makes Christianity unique among all world religions? And he said, all religions can be taught, but only Christianity can be proclaimed. Don't you love that? I love that. That is so strong. Now listen, you can, you can earn degrees in all the world's religions, and people do it all the time. But Christianity is about the proclamation of a person, what God has done in Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you, Muhammad said, no disrespect, Muhammad said, I know the way. Buddha said, I have seen the way. Confucius said, I have taught the way. Hindus have said, I have heard of the way. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the way. Let me ask you a question. Where is Muhammad this morning? No disrespect. Where is Muhammad this morning? Where is the Buddha this morning? Where is Confucius this morning? I can tell you where they are physically. They're all dead and gone. But the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords, the sovereign over all that exists. This is our faith. This is our faith. This is what we believe. So Jesus then, establishing his authority and his power, then goes on to give the mandate. Verse 19, look at it on the screen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go and make disciples. Now, you may think that there are two imperatives in this, in this, in this verse, two mandates there in this verse, go and make disciples. But actually, the go there is not in the imperative case in the Greek. Only make disciples has the insistence to it, the mandate to it, the imperative to it. And the reason that go isn't a mandate here is because they're already in the mission field. They're already in Galilee, you remember? Jesus sent them in the mission field. They're launched out of the consequence of, of the resurrection, and, they're, and they're, now they're, they've already gone. No need to go. We're, go. we're going. We're gone. We're there. We're to the mission field. So the only imperative in this passage becomes make disciples. So the grammatical construction literally means as you are going, make disciples. As you baptize people, make disciples. As you're teaching people, make disciples. This is the central work of the followers of Jesus. We can't help but go. As I mentioned, we're, I mean, we've been blasted into the mission field by the resurrection. So make disciples of all nations is the mandate. The imperative. You might be interested in knowing that there are 254 countries currently in the world, 24,000 ethnic groups, and that's the word that we translate ethnos, nation, we translate nations, make disciples of all the nations, the ethnos, 
and there are about 24,000 ethnic groups in the world. Today, there remains approximately 7,000 people groups that have no meaningful witness of Jesus Christ, no viable church in their midst, having many, never having even heard the name of Jesus. So there's still work to do, still work to accomplish in Jesus' name. Verse 20, and teaching them. So go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, what we learn from this verse, this part of the mandate, is that we should never lose our commitment to teach the Bible. Teach them everything that I've commanded you. Now, I announced last week to uh, much enthusiasm, I'm pleased to report, that in 2022 at Union Chapel, we are going to rehearse a, a book that has been written by Randy Frazee called The Story. It is a, an unpacking of the entire biblical narrative in chronological order. And for 30 or 31 weeks, over the course of the year, next 2022, we are going to work our way from front to back in chronological order through the biblical narrative. I, I mentioned last week that, that surveys and other research has indicated that the two greatest things that, that people both desire and need as Christian people to, to better follow Jesus is an understanding of the Bible and those two things merge around that understanding. And so it, it's, it's what people desire and it's also what people need. And we are going to put those things together next year and teach the Bible uh, in chronological order. It's going to be fantastic. We have a special event that we have planned in December. Now, now, this is the first time you've heard this. On December the 8th, that's a Wednesday night, we're going to have a vision night to go through these materials, which are age-specific. All the, the children, all the youth, the young adults, other adults are going to all be going through the same material every week, all year long, as we understand the Bible together. And we want to open up these materials so you can get a better feel for them if you're a parent, for your children, etc. And we're going to have a special vision night, as I said, on December 8th, on Wednesday night, from 6 o'clock to 7.30. We'll start on time and end on time. We have child care from everyone, from the little ones all the way to sixth grade. And, and, and so and we're going to serve dessert and some coffee. It'll be, it'll be casual, informative. We will also have materials if you're ready to purchase those at that time. The book, the story, is a, it's, a, it's a big book. You know, it's a hardback 300-page um, book that works through the, works through the biblical narrative it's a, a retails for $20, but because we know the author and we became friends with him last summer when he was teaching for us at our church planning event in Fort Collins, Colorado, Randy's given us a deal. And so we will, we will sell you a copy of the story for the retail amount of $20, and then we are going to give you in a bundle, because we're going to bundle them up and put a bow on it, Three other copies. So for $20, we're going to give you four copies of the story, one for you, and then three copies that you can pass out to your family and friends that you know will be interested in understanding the Bible better, that you can invite and encourage to be part of this. And I'm believing that we're going to reach lots of people for Jesus as a result of this. So on Wednesday, December 8th, we're going to have this vision night to unpack these materials and understand better the process of this campaign called The Story, and I hope that you'll want to come. 
We need to know you're coming because we we're going to buy dessert for you, dessert and coffee for everyone. Go online to events. Go on your app to events. Let us know you're coming so we'll have enough uh, cheesecake for you. All right? How many of you are getting hungry right now? Yeah, cheesecake. <laughs> it's good. So teach them to obey everything I have commanded. And then the last verse, 20. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's this great mandate, this great commission. Jesus reminds us that he has all authority and power and that we should make disciples of all the nations and he's with us. Let me ask you, how many of you were alive on December the 12th, 1980? 1980, that's a lot of you. I was 25 years old on December 12th, 1980. Some of you, most of you younger. Some of you just barely alive in 1980. Good number of you were not alive in 1980. But it's a special day, December 12th, 1980. If your birthday happens to be December 12th, that's not why it's so special, although you're special. December 12, 1980 was the first day Apple stock became publicly traded. That was the first public offering of Apple stock. Now, if you knew then <laughs> what you know now about Apple stock, because now you know that it has become the largest publicly traded stock in human history. If you knew then what you know now, what would you have done? Let me tell you what you would have done, unless you're stupid. <laughs> what you would have done <laughs> is you would have leveraged Absolutely every last single reference to money that you could leverage. You would have leveraged yourself. You would have sold everything you own just to get money, to buy Apple stock. You would have solicited family and friends and total strangers to buy Apple stock. You would have reassured them, I will pay you back. I will pay you back with interest. Name your interest. I will pay you back. And then you would have bought as much Apple stock as you possibly could. You would, have lived, you would have lived in a tent having sold your house to buy Apple stock if you knew then what you know now. People would have mocked you. They would have ridiculed you. Why are you, why are you giving everything you have to buy apples? No, not apples. 
apple stock. <laughs> they would have mocked you, scorned you, ridiculed you, impugned you. Some would have persecuted you. Perhaps members of your own family would say, you're out of the will. You've lost your mind. You're insane. You're a fanatic. You're an apple, apple stock fanatic. You've lost your way. But if you'd only known. Now, I know you can make the connection. With regard to the kingdom of God and this great commission business, we know where this is going. We know how this is all going to turn out. We know today what's going to happen out there in the future. We know precisely how big, how pervasive, how consuming, how world-changing, how eternity-altering this Great Commission thing will turn out to be. We know. We know from Matthew 24, 14, that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. We know from Philippians chapter 2, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and those in heaven, and those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that's the culmination of all things. We know that this is where that's headed. Earlier, I mentioned this verse, they saw him and they worshiped him. There are people within the sound of my voice, maybe online today, maybe people in the room. And you've rejected God. In fact, you hate God. You hate the whole Christian message. You, you resent the whole idea that you have to be here because you agreed to come with a friend or whatever. And you say, well, they worshiped him that day, that resurrected Jesus, assuming he's resurrected, but I'll never worship him. And listen, let me just lay, lay this as clearly as I can. Yes, you will. Because we know how this is all going to end. One day, every knee shall bow. You have a knee, you'll bow it. And every tongue will confess. If you have a voice, you will say it. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's not to get even. That's not some revengeful thing. That is the truth. That is the culmination of all things. This is, this is how history is going to end. We know how it's going to turn out. With the white, hot, unrestrained worship of God who is worthy of our praise. And his son, Jesus Christ. We know from Revelation eleven fifteen that the last headlines of history will read, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We know how it's, we know how it's going to end. We know how it comes out. Now, here's, here's my challenge for you today. Let's live for that last headline. We know it's coming. We know it will be the last headline on this planet. We know how this is all going to culminate. We know how it's going to turn out. We know the conclusion of all things. Why not live our lives in sight of that conclusion? Living as if Jesus died today, died yesterday, rose today, and is coming tomorrow. Why not live that way? Let's live in a constant commitment to this great commission to go and make disciples 
remembering especially that Jesus is with us every step of the way. Why not give ourselves to this? Why not give our whole selves to this? Why not make this the focus of our lives? Embracing as a value of our lives that every Christian, every follower of Jesus should be intentionally and strategically engaged in fulfilling the Great Commission. And as we do, the praise that is afforded his name will be realized. And our lives will have mattered for something bigger than ourselves and the petty little conflicts and issues that come up in this life. And we will give in our lives for a purposeful, eternal reason. Amen. 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 We work hard at Union Chapel to keep the mission alive. Are we yet alive in this mission? Are we yet alive in this mission? Are we yet alive in this mission? The answer is yes, we are. Yes, we are. If you have access to one of these faith promise cards, let me just uh, address the, what's on the front of this. This is our list of goals for 2022. And again, there's a QR code there. You can just scan this and do it all electronically. Be preferable. Our church planting initiatives, including the churches that we're planting now in prisons, it's already starting to happen. Three and four prisons now have churches, church leaders, church planters being trained in those prisons by our team, by Jay and Robin Wood. Uh, we're about to employ Kelly Barkle, our church planter friend from Daytona, who is, has just recently launched a church in a CrossFit center in Daytona. He's baptizing muscle heads now out in the surf at Daytona. It's fantastic. So great. Kelly, Kelly had a rough, a, a rough upbringing. His family of origin was, was not a healthy place. Kelly was in a lot of trouble when he was growing up. And so we are getting him credentialed now to be able to go into the prisons with Nick and with Jay and with Robin. And I talked to Kelly about it recently, and he said, I can't wait to get into the prisons. He says, I know how I'm going to feel. I said, I'm going to feel like I'm with my family. <laughs> it's going to be, he's, going to be, he's going to be amazing in the prison. He's going to lead people to Jesus. You watch left and right. So we have, we have a lot of church planting initiatives around the country and, and in other parts of the world, as you know. And so you have a designation for that activity. Local and global missions are simply those missionaries and other agencies locally and other places of the world where we fund individual ministries. Here in Muncie, we fund the Muncie Mission, Christian Ministries, um, First Choice for Women, Youth Opportunity Center, you know, those kinds of things. We're very engaged in our community and have individual missionaries both in churches and with agencies and with parachurch organizations that we fund. You can, that's the number for that. Blood and Fire is a, uh, an annual investment we make in, in folks uh, through that ministry downtown with the most uh, marginalized people in our community. Serve is our week-long event where we send hundreds of our own people, teenagers and others, into the community and dozens of venues to serve and to help. We have a little stipend there for short-term activities and uh, BUX, is that, that's our partnership with Bethel University and the students that we're currently training and cultivating to uh, uh, gain a 
a, uh, a college degree at a reduced price while they're on our campus here and being interned that way. So you can see that the totals for next year is $406,000. That's our, that's our target. And just for those of you who are not familiar with Faith Promise, we have, we have two basic funds at Union Chapel, just two. One is our general fund and the other is Faith Promise. The general fund is what it implies. That's what, how we keep the lights on and, and how we pay the staff and do our programming, that sort of thing, in-house stuff. And then Faith Promise is, is the bucket through which we do all of these mission initiatives. So we have a general fund and a Faith Promise fund, and that's it. So when you contribute to Union Chapel, you contribute to one of those or both. We have one special offering every year, not two, not three. We have one, and it's at Christmas. And we have special focus for each of our Christmas offerings. We'll be talking about that in a few weeks. And so we have one special offering a year. Otherwise, we have two funds, the general and the faith promise. Faith promise implies some activity of faith. That's why the, the name. And I want to challenge you to think about this. Beth and I actually pray over this faith promise commitment every year. I always get a number. She gets a number. Her number's always higher. <laughs> I think I've heard from God. I haven't. She hears better. I, I don't know. I can't keep up with her with that. But you need to pray if you're uh, coupled and pray individually about um, an amount that God would enable you by faith to contribute to our missions initiatives next year. And I, I love to challenge people with this because every year there are beautiful stories of God's provision. You know, money that you didn't expect, didn't anticipate, that wasn't aware it was going to come your way, but you made a commitment to missions, this great commission, and God honored your faith and provided the means to do it. And so I, want, I invite you to pray over this, and we will be receiving these uh, commitments, these promises next week. So th this is a week in advance so that you can have some time with it and trust that God will give you the number that he will provide for you. And we will continue to be on mission for Jesus' sake in the world around us. Amen? Let's pause and pray for just a moment. Lord, I thank you today for your word. Thank you for this commission, which is so clear and so and so concise, this mandate to go into all the world and make disciples. Lord, we thank you for the holy privilege it is to represent you as your ambassadors here and there, and that we are a local church on mission and desiring to follow your great commission. Lord, we thank you that we know how all this will, will end up. that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and the opportunity to serve you in this way. We pray in your holy name. And everyone said, would you stand with us?